I'm happy to see you, especially on such a pretty day. And you could be so easily seduced away by the flowers and the trees and sitting outside. But and some of you are actually sitting outside and you found a way to be with me, to be with us. So that's ideal. That's ideal. And so I've been thinking a lot, reflecting on, you know, one week will lead to another and, and we'll have kind of a common feeling or question in the room. And one thing that I've been reflecting on this week is the haunted sense we can have sometimes that we're longing for an experience that we're just not having. We're longing for um, for an experience or we think if, if we get circumstances just right, welcome everybody, you're not dropping in a mid-sentence. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to know exactly when to start because you don't want someone to feel like it's a party and you're breaking into a conversation or like missing it or on the edges of it. You're not. You're here at just exactly the right time. And, and the, the subjects are in a certain way always the same. And what I was beginning to talk about is longing, the longing for something that we don't have, a longing for a state or a something, a wholeness, and that, that anguished sense we can sometimes have that, oh, I blew it, or that deep regret. We've all felt at moments. Why did I do that? Why did I act that way? Oh, how I wish I could turn back time or be another way. And this is something we all feel. And under it, there's just this kind of haunted sense or knowledge that we're meant to have a different kind of life. We just know it. So in 1903, I think it was, um, a writer named Henry James wrote, an extraordinary story called A Beast in the Jungle. And in this story, there was a man who was completely convinced that he was meant to have a special destiny, that something extraordinary was going to happen to him. And he dreaded it, too. Like, it could be something awful. Like, and it was going to spring on him like a beast in the jungle. This special fate. He was just convinced. And, and it, it actually is a beast in the jungle. 
and um, in spite of, um, of, I don't know if it's the jolly corner, we'll talk about that later, but I'm going to continue with my story. So in the story, he's convinced of this. And he, as the story opens, this woman, this wonderful woman, um, remembers this guy from Italy and now they're back in London. And he's still haunted. And, and, and yet she buys a house near him. And sometimes they go to a play or dinner, but he keeps life at a distance because he's so convinced he's saving himself for this special experience that's going to happen to him. And at the end of the story, not to spoil it for you, but I must, there is this wrenching moment where she has died and he's at the graveside and he realizes that his extraordinary fate is to have not lived his life, to have not been open to this love that was offering itself that his, what was extraordinary about him was his refusal. So in, in a certain way, I think we're all in that kind of pickle where we'll have the sense that there must be a greater wholeness that's possible, a deeper life. I just know it. There is something besides the state of distraction or pining or living constantly in my amygdala. I know I can get out of this amygdala, this fight, flight, freeze, and drop into another state because I can do it at moments. And in an extraordinary uh, but true way, that's what we're doing here every single week. We're shifting our lives from something that's yearning for something out there, some the perfect conditions, the perfect teacher, the perfect motivating force, the perfect something. And then gently just bringing the attention back here to us. And at first it can feel so unpromising. Like, what, you know, what's here? A bit of exhaustion, a bit of stress, a bit of loneliness. What can I expect to find? And moment by moment, we discover that just bringing the attention with this gentleness and acceptance, just that, begins to open something even before we sit that there's a capacity in you for kindness towards your own experience, compassion, spaciousness. And often we think, how can we possibly know what to do? Because we've done so many things wrong. 
we've screwed up so many things as well-intentioned as we hope to be, or I'll just use I statements I have. It turns out that what we can do is begin to soften enough to notice the quality of our motivation of what's present right now. And one thing that is available to us right now is sensation. As you listen to me, you can bring the attention to the body. So you don't even have to think about, am I being motivated by greed or miserliness or anger? You just have to notice, is the body contracted? Is it tense? Is it a little bit softer? Is it a little bit more open, receptive? Just that. And notice that if you do find yourself really tense, what's it, what would it be like if you just bring a completely accepting and kind witness to that tension? It's okay. It's okay. So that moment by moment, drop by drop, we begin to let ourselves recognize that we are that witness, not just what we're witnessing. And we begin to notice that even in our moments of most painful regret, so wish I could turn the clock back. Right in that experience of having that moment of remorse or regret, we can notice that there is a seer in us, a witness who is bringing compassion. Compassion and understanding in the form of this spaciousness. And that in itself is changing us and even our past. And moment by moment, we're going from thinking about being an object that we have to fix to being a subject being ourselves a place of rest. We can become a place of rest. We can become a kind of light to see by. We ourselves can become like a walk in the park like a tree, like flowers, just for a moment, shifting from what am I, what kind of person am I, to the who, the who, the one who sees with kindness 
and spaciousness and wisdom. And this is how we come one moment at a time to have moments of being, extraordinary moments. It's not by waiting for some extraordinary destiny to spring on us like a beast in the jungle, but a moment of just letting ourselves be exactly like this and noticing that we are seeing and receiving with love and compassion. So let's sit, let's let's see. And so just take a comfortable seat. And let the back be straight, as straight as you can make it comfortably. Let the eyes close and notice how you feel today. Don't think about it. Just let yourself take in an impression. And notice that this presence, this attention begins to soften you. that seeing without judgment begins to open something. A sense of spaciousness and ease appears.
see that when you think it's perfectly natural to think just like breath, nothing personal, and gently bring the attention back to sensation, back to the presence of being here. that this attention can include everything that comes up. Every sorrow and sharp edge, every joy. of rest in stillness. Noticing how alive it is.
let your experience be completely fluid, changing. Let the attention be fluid, not fixed. Notice how it feels to let everything go on, changing. Notice how it feels to be seen with no judgment. Everything welcomed.
trusting impermanence, trusting the movement of return to sensation, to letting be. Come home to stillness, to presence, Everything happened to you rooted in sensation, resting in presence.
Notice how you open in stillness. Notice how it feels to be seen with complete acceptance. for your beautiful stillness and presence. And uh, if anyone has a comment or observation, I see you too. I'd be very happy to hear from you. Yes, Tracy, I'd like to um, pick up on what you said earlier about remorse and regret and learning to have compassion for oneself. And on that note, I wanna go back two Sundays ago um, during our Sangha when Lisa shared something that resonated so deeply with me. So I'm not gonna exactly try to repeat what she said, but as I heard it, and experienced what she was feeling. Um, she spoke of having tried to, tried to help someone she knows. 
um, but that in fact, she felt that she had caused harm. And immediately, so, it's just so resonated um, in general. And then when she shared how she was struggling with this in her own feelings, it just, it went so deeply to my heart. I just welled up and, um, and I just, it wasn't as though I thought of any one particular experience, although I could certainly do that, but over a lifetime of having, in the course of being a human being, um, experienced um, regret and remorse and deep sadness over what I felt I had caused another. And yet at the same time, I, I felt this love for myself as, as a human being of, of living a lifetime with all its ups and downs and, um, and I guess really compassion. And so there was all of this going on in me that just, I just welled up with tears. And so, um, yeah, because it refers to what you said earlier today, um, this compassion, I, I also feel and felt at the time all these things going on, but, but really gratitude for, yeah, for what I've learned over the course of my lifetime as a human being. And um, yeah, gratitude and compassion. And yeah, so I wanna thank Lisa for opening that up in myself. Thank you, Lisa. And, and Tracy, for you reminding me today when you said those few words. Um, yeah. Um, so what we share here can, um, can really be a gift, of course, and, and go really deeply and ever onward here as a human being. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. And... Um, yeah, and it's true. And when people share their experience, honestly, as Lisa did, as you're doing, it touches us in a way that, that no book can. Because it's like something is understood for a moment. Something is understood that can barely be put into words that something about our greater possibility or humanity. And what I can't stress enough, and it might sound very strange, um, but it's true, that we can change the past. We can change the past. And I know that teachers like Jack Cornfield are always saying, um, give up all hope of a better past. And I agree with that too. But at the same time, in a moment of remorse or regret, in a moment of just purely experiencing that, sometimes simultaneously in that moment, 
we see, we're seeing it, we're feeling it, we're expressing this greater compassion that is our true nature. We're feeling in a moment of regret sometimes, it's like we've seen how far away we are in our thinking sometimes or our doing, and we, we're back, we're here. And in that moment of feeling, something opens and something can be healed. And I want to share something, and I don't like to always be quoting books and stuff, but sometimes I just can't help it. But this is just an interesting little fact that I once heard that in Shakespeare's day, the word fool was what they call a baby. A, ba a little baby was a fool. So not just what fools we mortals be, but in his towering tragedy of massive screw-ups, King Lear, the, the, the person who screwed up the mostest, I mean, I don't want to get into a competition about it, but he really did wrong to his beloved daughter, Cordelia. And there is a line in the play where he says, my poor fool is dead. And he's referring to his core gesture, but also his baby girl. My poor fool. And it's a moment of witness of just this human witness of the heart breaking open to see what fools we are, what babies we are, innocent babies who didn't see. And here's an opportunity in reflection in our heart. It's, and this is a practice for letting the heart open and speak and heal. Getting the head out of the way. That what fools is also a moment when the heart begins to heal. We, in Buddhism, they always talk about our basic goodness. It's like recovering our basic innocence. And we do it by seeing and sharing and accepting. We're all fools. We're all babies. It's such a lovely way to put it. It's so much 
somehow it's so much easier to have compassion for a baby, isn't it? Just the image and the thought of its innocence. My mother has this funny little phrase <laughs> that she uses when she's being rough on herself. And she almost scolds herself, don't hit the baby, <laughs> which always cracks me up. But it's true because it, in the struggle for self-compassion, because of how, you know, flawed we feel we are, but a baby is so much purer and innocent. And whatever a baby does, it, it does in innocence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. Baby's trying things. So if you picture it really that same event, a baby doing it, we'd be like, don't hit baby Lisa. Stop beating up on her. And um, it's like, it's not to indulge. It's not to like get into some big argument on your behalf. Quite the opposite. But to see in this completely spacious and compassionate way. that this is how we are. And as we begin to see our conditioning and how we do this, we do that, just mechanically, practically, we begin to notice another possibility that starts with seeing. Or the Buddha, I guess the Buddhists would call opening to the good, which is just plain opening in this compassionate way to see what's motivating us or captivating us right now. And so if I see myself gripped with fear or or injured vanity, or whatever it is. Can I be with that, like that egoism or that, that whatever I'm doing, can I be with that with compassion? Oh, I'm scared, I'm overcompensating, I'm talking to my, whatever it is, but just being with it the way you be with a baby. still love them and hold them. You wouldn't get into it with them. They're little baby arguments. You just go on holding them. Have you ever heard a two-year-old give a synopsis? <laughs> Oh, because they can't. <laughs> they have to tell you blow by blow by blow by blow. It's it's exhausting. But you can learn to just really enjoy their presence and not worry about it. Hi, Tracy, I've missed you. <laughs> I came to California, I'm still here uh, to visit my daughter, but I just wanted to say that what you're saying resonates so much 
because I got, I got very far away from myself, very far away from myself in a really scary way in the last couple of days. And especially last night, I just, I couldn't stand the feelings. And then um, this morning when I woke up, the impermanence is amazing. It really is to totally true because I, I got up and I said, and I sort of realized um, there's only one way back and that's to come and sit and meditate and be present and be kind. And it just really worked. I've had a fabulous day, you know? It's just amazing. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and you really can trust in impermanence. It's quite extraordinary because mm -hmm. just when you think you've written yourself off for good because you have ample evidence at this point, <laughs> you know, that it's hopeless for you. And no matter what anybody else says, this is it. And then you next thing you know, you're downstream in a different state. Yeah. Blows it blows my mind in some ways. Yeah. Thank thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Hi. Um, I, I, I got an email this week from in the Insight LA Meditation Center saying, I mean, not I personally, but they sent it out saying it was Meditation Teacher Appreciation Week this week. Now, I don't know if it's just their Meditation Teacher Appreciation Week or if it's like International Meditation Teacher Appreciation Week, but either way, it just made me think about how much I really appreciate um, your wisdom and your words and thoughts and you're holding this, this virtual space, which feels more like an actual space for us every um, Wednesday and Sunday. And um, I just wanted to say that out loud because I don't usually say it out loud. I don't usually say anything out loud in here anyway, actually, but um, I just wanted to voice that and my appreciation. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's my honor and my joy to be here with you and to be here with all of you. And I am quite astonished and grateful that we've created Sangha uh, together over this past year, real Sangha. It's quite wonderful. So thank you. One thing that could be interesting for us to do when we close and is we offer metta sometimes as a practice, loving kindness. And one practice that would be wonderful for us to try together is to picture yourself like a baby, cute little baby. And some people would actually like look up photographs and stuff and you can do that or just picture in your mind's eye. So that when we offer meta to ourselves, we will be offering meta to that baby. 
and then building, letting it go out and out and out to all babies everywhere without exception. And so let's give that a try for a few minutes and just take a comfortable seat and don't um, stress about this. No stress, no bother. And just allow yourself to land here. And as you relax, uh, allow yourself to, have, to picture yourself or sense yourself. Remember yourself as a baby. Just a baby. Just responding to life. Doing your best to just check stuff out and get organized. Just let yourself feel that basic willingness, a willingness to be here. How does a hand work and standing? How does sunlight feel? And just when you have an image or a sense, however sketchy, offer that baby the wish, may I be safe, may you be safe and protected from harm and danger of all kinds, inside and outside, may you be safe. Met with kindness. Receptivity. And love. May you have what you need. to grow and be Let that baby open his or her or their heart and let that baby heart just shine out 
towards all babies everywhere. Offering the wish, may you be safe. May we all be safe and protected from harm. May we all have what we need to be healthy and strong and happy. notice that there's a light of wisdom and compassion in you and attention that can see that baby without judgment. With love. compassion and notice how it feels to have that baby right in the center of this huge turning world. Knowing that they are wanted, they belong. And that they're awakening will benefit all beings everywhere without exception, supporting them in Thank you. Thank you.